All right, everybody, welcome to the Agatsu Physical Culture Podcast. Uh, my name is Sean Mosen, and my very special guest today is going to blow you away. Rob Ingram owns something that I'm sure you have all watched many times, shared with many people, and either laughed or grabbed your head wondering, why on earth did I just see that? What happened? He is the creator of McDojo Life. Welcome, sir. Hey, man. Thank you for having me on the show. I appreciate the chit-chat. Always love talking shop. Yeah, no. Thank you very much for coming on. And you know, first, I've been a fan for a very long time. I mean, I think your your social media is one of those things where people just really constantly share it and they share it in an amazing way because sometimes it's absolutely hysterical i mean it can the stuff that you you put up can totally turn someone's bad day around and just give them a smile and that's an amazing thing and sometimes it's the most confusing slightly horrific i'm losing faith in humanity post because it's just nuts. And if you had like a minute to, to describe to someone what McDojo life is about, you know, your elevator pitch, what are they going to find when they go check you out? What is it? Super simple. So basically McDojo life calls out fakes, frauds, phonies, and pedophiles in the martial arts industry. And I try to do it in a satirical way. Um, Cause sometimes, uh, you know, you were talking about sometimes people look at it and it's like the funniest thing ever. And then sometimes it's horrific. Yeah. Uh, that's very purposeful. Um, if you ever watch any comedian ever who's trying to actually make a point about something, he'll tell like 15 jokes and then he'll say the serious thing that gets him the standing ovation. Yeah. Um, that's purposeful. So I'll post all these funny things having like a billion horrific things waving in the wings, unfortunately, because people will be like, oh, I'm watching this. I'm watching this. I'm watching this. I'm paying attention. Then all of a sudden you're like, good. And then you hit him with a little bit of truth and it blows them away. Like, oh my God. And that structure has actually allowed us to really do some good in the community. I mean, we've had, uh, we've been able to reach as far as India. We've been able to reach out as far as um, Egypt um, to really start helping to, to combat frauds in the industry who do some really horrific things, but we try to keep it light, you know, make it funny. And if we can do that, then we can spread a message easier. Well, I, I think you absolutely do because even though you do have times where there's some, you know, heavy topics and, uh, and, you know, there's some, some video footage that comes out and, and really as a community, I think people work, because they recognize like, look, you know, in the cases where it's adult teacher, you know, roughing up kids, um, doing really, really negligent things. Um, yeah, those are hard to watch, but also necessary because then a global community of martial artists start to try and try and stop that. And it brings awareness. But at the same time, your, your channel is not like, it's not all down. It's not depressing. It's there's so much fun and funny stuff and also helpful. And I love what you just said about, you know, you kind of wrap it in, Hey, I'm getting your attention. Here's something fun. Here's something funny. It's going to put a smile on your face. And also, here's the message that I really want the le- you know you to understand the lesson. And I I try in my own way, like on TikTok, to do the same thing. I, I'm I basically show Brazilian Jiu Jitsu basics, but my interest in Brazilian Jiu Jitsu is for self defense. Mm-hmm. So. I'm loud. I curse in the videos. It's silly. You know, I, I say you're getting attacked by some whatever, and it's always some, some different, you know, curse word, uh, you know, like a twat waffle is grabbing you in the street. You know, it's the whole thing's meant just to make you stop, laugh, you know, look. And then I show you some fundamental jujitsu thing about like closing the distance or, you know, and uh, how you can get the clinch and work from the clinch and stuff like that to stay safe. And I found the same thing like you, that that reaches people more than if I just stood there and said, oh, this guy's trying to hit you. Um, try to 
close yeah. the distance and cover and, you know, and people respond to it. And I think that's also why, like when you post a new video, I, I know right away what I'm getting. It's like, I'm going to, I'm going to see some good stuff. And one of the main reasons that I wanted you on is on, on my social media, a lot of the time people will ask me, um, how do I know a good school? Like, mm. how do I know? Because especially when I go on, when I go on live and we're talking and people say, thanks, I like your videos. I say, great, thank you. I hope they inspire people to go find a school. And they say, okay, but Sean, how do I find a school? And I've known this over the years since, you know, been training since I'm seven. Man, it's not easy. It's not easy because any raw beginner, anyone who's just seen stuff and it's like, hey, man, I want to do that. Look, I love Cobra Kai on, uh, you know, on, on TV. All right? I like watching Cobra Kai on Netflix. It's super fun. And I believe you also started off with karate, right? Yeah, I did. I started when I was 12. So I've been at it for 23 years now. Yeah. So man, I started with karate when I was a kid and, and I did it for a long time, third Dan. And, and I still love karate, you know, movies and stuff like that. You know, I love watching Cobra Kai, but if you watched Cobra Kai and got excited now to go find a school, mm. like, you know, how do you know? So what do you tell people when they ask you like, man, how do I find a good school, Rob? You know, like, what, what do I look for? So it's, it's a question I get a lot too. And I guess that's because I call out all the negatives. So they're yeah. like, well, what about the positives? Um, well, yeah. step one is most every school, or actually I scratched that, 99% of schools provide you with a trial class, whether it be a free trial class or a paid trial class. Yes. I am not against paid trial classes at all. As a matter of fact, when I do uh, business consulting for schools, mm-hmm. I suggest it. Um, because it allows your staff to have a little bit more income. It allows you to be able to take care of a few more bills. Um, yeah. No one on the planet works for free. <laughs> so working for free is never smart. Um, but in any case, uh, I tell people to go take as many trial classes as they can. Now, when you go to take a trial class, you need to keep in mind what your goal is. The problem with asking other people about what the best martial arts school to go to is they only give you the perspective of their goal. So when they say, oh, man, you need to go train jujitsu. Well, maybe you train jujitsu for self-defense, but maybe this person's not doing that. Maybe this person over here wants to lose weight and maybe that jujitsu academy, I'm not saying that it won't help you lose weight, but maybe they'll be better off going to a place that has a registered dietitian that has somebody who's registered or who has a license in sports therapy, medicine, something like that. And in order to actually lose weight with a team that's right. geared towards hundred percent doing that. And then self-defense is supplementary, whereas jujitsu self-defense is the goal and then losing weight is supplementary. So I think that knowing your goal is super important. Once you take a whole bunch of free trial classes or trial classes, then you can start to make a form of a decision based on an educated process. You didn't just go, oh, well, someone said jujitsu, so I just did that. It was the first place I went to. Well, what if that coach is a dick? Let's just be honest. So like the, the style is awesome, but what if the coach is terrible? Like just because somebody does an art does not mean that they're a good person or a good coach. Or even they might be a world champion competitor, but still be a terrible coach. So find that personality that actually makes you want to learn. That's important because no one watches season three, episode two of a show that sucked in the pilot episode. No one does that. No one's like, this show sucks so bad. I can't wait to get to season three. No, you don't do that. You go, this sucks. I'm going to go find another show to watch. Well, that's the same thing. 50% of people who join martial arts drop out at white belt. 50%. The overwhelming majority, the majority of people don't even make it past a year. So what that tells me is most people aren't finding the right, right match for them to inspire them to want to join. Now, now once we've just established the goal that we have and we find the gym that we want, when you go to these trial classes, a lot of people don't think about the most important thing, which is they're going to treat you like gold on your first day. 
No matter what studio you go to, the best they will ever treat you is your first day. That is the best service you will ever get in that studio. So if you're getting crappy service on your first day, just just remember, this is only day one. You have a year worth of a contract at least to be able to enjoy being treated like shit. So, (laughs) but the next thing is keeping in mind that they're going to treat me so well. Maybe I go to a studio and I feel comfortable and it's great, but am I observing how they're treating everyone else? Mm-hmm. Because that's the most important part for you, because that's who you will be after you sign the contract. You right. will be like everyone else. So if they're treating you great, but you're noticing they're not treating everyone else well, that's a red flag. That's a problem. And so I think that if you combine all of those things together, that will give you the best impression of where you should be. A lot of people go, man, you need to find a black belt. Who gives a shit? I'm one of those people. I don't care. Like it could be a blue belt in jujitsu and I go train in his garage I don't care. He knows more than me. Cool. Let's, let's train. Um, is he helping me meet my goals? He or she not trying to sound sexist. You gotta be careful nowadays. People get offended. You, be careful. you can't say anything. <laughs> I don't, I don't talk after this. I won't speak for the rest of the week <laughs> just to be safe. Oh, you, know? you fucked up. <laughs> yeah. I, I was, I was born in 73 back then. You could say all kinds of things. <laughs> well, I was born in the 85. So it was a lot of cocaine and brown, a lot of cocaine and, and, and uh, neon. I digress. I think those, so, are really, that, that, those are really great points because uh, I love what you're saying, uh, especially about how they're treating everyone in the room, how they're treating, um, you know, their, their clients and their, their students that have been there for a long time. And I don't think a lot of people say that a lot of people say, Hey, go take a trial, go, tr- you know, check it out. But what are you looking for when you check it out? And that's, that's a huge thing. Look and see what the vibe is. And there's another couple little things, right? Because, yeah. you know, I've been doing uh, martial arts business consulting for studios now for about 10 years. Mm-hmm. And one thing that I've realized, one is the martial arts industry is so full of ego, it's ridiculous. No one ever thinks they're wrong, <laughs> but you can, oh, you can. Bring- I, 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 uh, I know that by uh, the messages that I get uh, daily. <laughs> we'll talk about later because probably you, I'm, I. Oh. Had a little connection failure there you, uh, when you actually say something about something. Yeah. So, um, yeah, but everyone thinks they're right about everything, you know, and, and it's OK to be wrong. I think that, you know, when it's we OK join, to disagree, like we could. Okay. Yeah, it's OK to have a civil conversation. Still, we could still have a beer and like each other and just not agree on every topic in the world. That's OK. Exactly. And I miss that. And I go live like every Monday, Wednesday and Friday and I let anyone join. Um, as a matter of fact, anybody who tries to troll me, I specifically click them. So that way they will join. Um, and if they don't, then they're a troll and I delete them because this is my house. And in my house, we play by Rob's rules. And if you're going to be a dick, you got to go. Um, cause I would never let somebody treat me like that at my own home. And so that's how I treat my, my, my social media. Like this is my house and you're a guest here. And if you'd like to interact, you can disagree with me. We, as a matter of fact, I, I encourage disagreement because I will learn something, which I do quite often. But if you're going to go to the name calling or you're going to go to just being a crude, you don't have any place here because I would never let somebody like that in my own home. Yeah, no, that makes sense. uh, Another couple of things to pay attention to, though, in terms of joining a martial arts studio. um, One, did they greet you within three seconds of walking through the door? That says so much about a studio and most people ignore it. If the instructor is off doing something else, he knew well aware that you were going to be there at what time you would be there. Yeah. Um, and you just, he decided he was going to go do something else and not be there for you. That will happen all the time. Gotcha. If the bathroom is dirty, the gym is dirty. That's very important for people to remember. So yes. like how most people do some things is how they do everything. And I know that's a cliche quote, but it's true. If you walk into the bathroom and that bathroom is dirty and it looks like it hasn't been cleaned in at least a day, um, 
then that means those mats are equally clean. And that means that you're putting yourself up against staph infection. You're putting yourself up against ringworm. You're putting yourself up against all kinds of contagious things that you don't want because you're in an atmosphere, hopefully, where people are sweating often. And if they're doing that, then that means they're not taking care of the bathroom. They ain't taking care of that facility. And so I think it's important. Those are little notes. Um, I I personally, I I even now, nowadays, I'm kind of cringy about training at facilities. If I walk into the bathroom and I notice it's been dirty for a few days, because I know that's the type of care they're treating the rest of the facility. I think I love that. That's awesome. I think that exactly what you said, it's so important. I mean, the cleanliness is so important, but also that greeting, that initial greeting. And sometimes you don't realize it um, and think about it, but the reason that you have such a good feeling about a place you went to check out, uh, it really does come from the top down. And I wish I could remember the name. It totally escapes me now, but I was out in, in LA and I went to, uh, you know, I went to a jujitsu place that was near where I was staying. Uh, you know, I called them up. Hey, can I come try a class? And personal phone was like, yeah, man, no problem. I said, I'm in town for the week. May I train at your place? He's like, yeah, come. I said, you know, uh, I, I, is there any problem with wearing a gi that has other patches? I'm like, just trying to, you know, because everybody has all different rules. And he was like, he goes, I don't care what you wear, wear anything you want, wear, you know, he's like, come in, it's cool, man. So I went right away, as soon as I opened the door, guy was sitting there behind the desk, saw me come in right away, hey, waving, got up, jumped up from the table, asked, you know, his student who he was talking to, excuse me one minute, came over, shook my hand, shook my girlfriend's hand, just, you know, couldn't have been nicer. Not only that, but takes me to the change room, shows me where everything is. If you need anything, introduces to me, one of his brown belts is going to be giving the class and just like super cool dude. When we were even rolling later in the class, he was at the front desk, right? The student was running the class. I see he's leaning over to check me out to make sure I'm okay. And I'm going to be safe with his students. Like I'm not a jerk, you know? And then he gets up and kind of walks around and he's looking and, you know, and Mm -hmm. slap hands with one of his guys. We rolling around his guys being super cool with me. I'm being super cool with him. And then after he tells me, uh, I said, you know, thank you so much. I really loved it. Uh, Come back again this week. He's like, he goes, come as much as you want. Very cool. I said, you know, I also appreciate it. I saw you got up to make sure. He goes, I just checking to see if my boys are going to be okay. And, uh, you know, am I going to have to put my gear on? And, and, and you know what? I loved it because I'm like, that's, that's what you should do. He was, he was there thinking about also taking care of me, but he was really taking care of his people. He like exactly what you said. He, he got up right away to make sure it's like, Hey, are all my people safe with this stranger? Is he a cool guy? Is he okay? And, you know, so showed me he cared about his students and you know just like couldn't have been a nicer guy i really feel like crap that i can't remember <laughs> that uh, happens, do my best and i'll try and post it but you know i, I think that's so important like those those points that you laid out are going to help people because we both know you know and i get it it's like i know why people want to go to the school that's closest to their house i know why you want to go to the school that's cheapest i mean we can all understand the, this convenience but you're going to spend money and so much time and effort there mm. that it's such a sad mistake. You know, I, I so upsetting that, you know, somebody go, Oh yeah, I went and it's like right around the corner and you know, da, 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 da. and you're like, Oh, quick, did you, did you check a few places? Like how many did you check? No, I went to them. They seem cool. It's like, but if you have no perform, like point of reference, go to at least three, like, please go to three, you know? Uh, one thing that I think people don't quite get, you know, is that when you go to a facility, especially like a martial arts studio, yeah, you're going to be training there for at least a year. Yeah. Statistically, you will make it through the year. Most people drop out after that year, 
but you're going to make it at least a year. So what is going to happen to you and what are you going to gain from this experience, especially when you're getting your children involved in a martial arts studio? What are you going to gain in this year? I, I think that if you can start understanding what your goals are, one, you'll probably stay at a facility longer. Um, two, you'll probably actually get your goal met instead of just going and hoping that, well, you know, I want to lose some weight. How much? Let's set goals, like be specific. Um, but it's, I think it's also important for martial arts studios to understand that not everybody has the same goals as themselves. Yeah. And um, what baffles me and what I really wish I'd see more of in the industry. And I know most people don't think when they think about McDojo life, they think the wrong thing, I think. Um, I have five very specific rules for what I consider a McDojo. And I've had those ironclad rules for about 10 years now um, since I started the page. Mm -hmm. um, actually, nine nine years. Sorry, I don't want to misquote myself. But in any case, um, studios, especially instructors, will be so proud of the fact that they stayed with an instructor for decades. Mm -hmm. They'll be like, man, I, I got my black belt under so-and-so. I'm proud to say that my black belt is from this person, right? And they're proud of that lineage. And most of us are. We worked hard to make sure that the people that we learned from were well-educated, well-known, and respected in the industry. But then when they go to open up a martial arts studio, rather than saying, I know nothing about business. I have no clue what I'm doing here. I need a mentor for this. They go, eh, I'll figure it out. Yeah. It's like, that's like the equivalent of the guy who walks in off the street and goes, I'm a street fighter, man. I want some MMA fights. No one's going to take that guy seriously. Right. No one is. So no one's going to take you seriously if you don't understand how to run an actual studio. Yeah. And um, then that's where you get ego. And that's where you get toxicity. That's where you get people who don't want to show up or you start winding up with some lawsuits because you weren't making decisions that were best for your students. You were only making decisions that were best for you. The moment you become a martial arts instructor, when it, it's no longer about you. Yeah. No one cares about you. Let's just be honest. No yeah. one gives a damn about anything that has to do with your training, your life, your inside or outside of the studio. They're paying you for a service that you must provide. Yes. If I was, I don't give a damn about my plumber's personal life. You know why? Because I'm paying him for a service to fix my plumbing. Right. And if he started talking to me about his personal life, maybe I'd talk to him for a second, be polite. But then I'd say, hey, man, how much do I owe you? Thank you. And then I kick him out of my home because we're not I'm not a therapist. Right. Same thing with my barber. Same thing with my mechanic. When I drop off my car, I don't hang out in the shop for three hours and go, hey, man, tell me about uh, tell me about your wife. What's up? You yeah. don't do that. Because no one gives a shit. But for some reason in martial arts industry, we put our instructors on these such grandiose pedestals because of titles and, um, yes. you know, and practices of standards of practices that we do in all martial arts. Mm -hmm. um, it just kind of makes it so that way they're holier than thou in some way. They're not. They're just people. And if as an instructor to keep yourself in check, you have to remember you're just a person. <laughs> so like they may call you sensei and bow to you and you're, you're maybe your pictures on the wall and all your certificates are everywhere. That's super duper. But at the end of the day, you're just a person and right. they are, they are customers who are looking for a service. And so as a good instructor, you must find what that service is that these people want and know, can I provide that service or can I not? And so many studios try to think they can provide everything. Yeah, they try to be like, oh, we're we're the best at competitions in our area. Um, but also in the same class, we're teaching you all kinds of uh, self-defense things. So it's like, oh, in the same class. Right? Oh, and it's the best workout you'll ever have. So in one class, I'm getting the best workout I've ever done. I'm getting all the competition stuff that I need to train for a particular uh, sport. And I'm also learning simultaneously all kinds of stuff for actual self-defense. But am I? 
<laughs> is that really happening? And you see a lot of that. And, and what ends up ultimately happening, as you know, is you're trying to do three things and you do three things poorly. You know, uh, I'd, I'd much rather someone told me recently about um, a, a jujitsu class they went to and uh, they said, oh, I tried it out. I, I did the class with this guy and, uh, you know, it was, it was really good. But, I, you know, I told him, like, you know, I'm really interested in self-defense because he was talking to me about comps and stuff. And, you know, the guy said, I, I really don't have any interest in competing. And he said uh, the, the instructor told him, he goes, really, we focus on competition here. It's not really a self-defense uh, Brazilian jiu-jitsu oriented school. He's like, that's not really what we do. And uh, I thought that was great. I had so much respect for that teacher hearing that that guy, instead of him saying like, oh, yeah, it was all Brazilian jiu-jitsu and it's all good for self-defense. This guy was like, no, I really don't teach that. We don't focus about on that at all. It's probably not, you know, basically he told him it's not the school for you. And the guy was like, and he was right. So rather than get somebody in, um, and I think it was so good because like, look, I heard that. So now if I hear about a guy who wants sport jujitsu, shit, man, I'm going to send him to that guy, you know, because it's like, wow, what a straight, like good stand-up guy to, mm-hmm. to do that, you know? Sure. And, and uh, the old business standard for like, uh, selling students on things, which there's books and books and books mm-hmm. on martial arts business sales. But the old standard was if somebody walked into your studio and they said, hey, man, I'm looking for this, whatever this is, right? Yeah. You say, well, what is it about that that you like? Yeah. And they say, well, I'm looking to, you know, I I want a mentor. All right, well, what, what kind of mentor are you looking for? Well, or, uh, I'm sorry, I digress. Let's get more specific. They're like, oh, yeah. I'm looking for karate yeah. and you're a jiu-jitsu school. And you go, oh, well, what is it about karate that you like? And then they give you all the reasons, man, well, for self-defense and for this and that. And then no matter what they say, you go, well, we provide that. Yeah. Would you like to try this instead? You know, that's the old business script of martial arts industry. That's like the gold standard of what you say when someone comes in. What you probably should say and what you probably should say as an ethical person is say, well, hey, there's a couple karate schools around. I'm more than happy to give you their addresses and names of the owners because we're all in good standing because I'm not a prick. And then uh, I would love to, to introduce you to them. But if you'd like, would you like to just try a class here and just see what jujitsu is all about? That would be a much more ethical way, I think, of handling that situation than yeah. just the old business standard, which is what is it about that that you like? Oh, you like that? We do that, too. Yeah. It's like, well, maybe there's more reasons than they're not articulating why they want that, you know? Right. What is it that brought you to martial arts? Because you've been training for so long, for so many years. Yeah, I uh, got the shit beat out of me. <laughs> so uh, that, I was, that'll do it. <laughs> it didn't work well. Yeah. Uh, it's the best introductory class ever. You know, it's oh, a I good know motivator. I, yeah. <laughs> and it helps you also discern uh, very quickly what will be needed for reality. <laughs> well, I was uh, I was born with a cleft lip and palate, so I have scars on my face. And I was going through a lot of surgeries as a kid. So I was constantly showing, showing up to school with bandages or looking a little different than I did the time before or scars or stitches. Um, there was always something I was doing all the way up till I was about 16 years old. I was going through that and uh, pretty and much was, all through your teens in the yeah. perfect time for when people are so nice to each other. Yeah, exactly. We've got to yeah. love middle school. So yeah. and I went to a pretty rough middle school. Um, but what would happen was I would go, I'd get like teased and picked on. I'd wind up getting into another fight. And it got to the point where I was even put on uh, like a school contract where they brought in my mom and they were like, you know, if there's another altercation here, we might have to start looking at sending him to a correctional facility, like a correctional school, which was like basically just a school, but for where they put basically the bad kids. And it's like, well, I'm getting beat up every time. Like I'm losing these fights. I'm not instigating. This is clear that I'm getting picked on, but they didn't give a shit. So I wind up going to school one day. I got picked on in a gym class. And then they basically let me know whenever the bell rang that they were going to jump me. 
I was like, well, this is going to suck. But you know what? It's just another day. So I went outside and they just jumped me. It was like six kids. They sta- I actually still have a little pencil marking in my finger from where I got stabbed with a pencil. They stepped on my head. They kicked me. They like beat the, the shit out of me for about five minutes. And the only reason I know it was five minutes is because that's how long the, the time span is between the bells for classes. Yeah. So they beat you from the time the one bell rang all the way to the time the next bell rang. And when the next bell rang, they actually just kind of scattered. Uh, the worst part was two teachers stood there and watched the entire thing and did nothing about it. They just kind of allowed it to happen. Now, I don't know why that was. I think it was some type of a policy thing, to my knowledge, but they just kind of watched it happen. Yeah. Now, when, after those kids scattered, my best friend at the time, who was late to the class, because my class that I was leaving was supposed to be the next class he was supposed to be in, he runs up. Well, as he runs up, like I'm laying there all messed up bleeding. Um, he picks me up and he walks me to the nurse's office, which probably should have been the teacher's job. Uh, he hands me a card um, and it was for karate he said you need this Um, that was where his exact words actually (laughs) you need this and I grabbed the card I put it in my pocket and then up to this point I had asked my mother to do everything I wanted to do baseball or football or hockey absolutely anything I could do that was physical I wanted to do Um, mostly because I was tired of getting my ass beat and so my mom was like no you'll get hurt because of your surgeries like I don't want to risk you getting hit in the face with baseball and having to ruin your surgeries and it was always about that and then after this incident, like it was clear that I got really beat up bad. And she was like, well, let's see what happens. And then the next month was my birthday. And she actually bought an entire year for my birthday. So she was like, this is what you want to do. I, I support you. And which is funny because she put me in the one sport. I'm guaranteed to get punched in the face. Yeah. Um, and so I just did that. And I've done it forever. And uh, now my, my resume is okay. Like a uh, third degree black belt in karate third degree black belt in something called this is Jodo, which is a weapon system not too many people have heard of but my instructor his name was master lee barden you feel free to look him up on youtube um you know i was a six and oh amateur boxer four and two amateur kickboxer i was on an international kickboxing team called team full circle um which was the same team stage north cup was on um and we traveled internationally and did kickboxing tournaments so i did that for two years um i'm a purple belt now in brazilian jiu-jitsu um and then now i've been doing more the business side of things you know because i don't really want to compete anymore i could care less so now it's all business consulting and running mcdojo life and just trying to build a nice solid brand that hopefully one day i can hang my hat on and say you know i help the community in some way do you, do you feel that that you know the early years and getting bullied getting you know picked on and beat up that that really formed um kind of the the foundation for what you ended up doing with mcdojo life that that you know like um you know that sense of of wanting to protect people um and maybe because you didn't get that kind of protection not to play like armchair psychiatrist but, i mean you know. i was about to say what would freud say yeah um, i mean it sounds like you know a lot of people that end up kind of doing a lot of good uh to help is because they didn't get help themselves i don't i don't know if that's the reason it may be some deep rooted psychological reason that i do it but i've never thought about it that way nor have i ever approached it that way um i think about it like this I, the martial arts industry has done a lot for me. And as cliche as that sounds, you have people say martial arts saved my life. It didn't save my life. I think that that's just not true, but it put me in a different direction. And I think it put me in a positive direction. And I'm not sure exactly what I'd be doing without it, but I know that it is a part of my life now, a hundred percent. Now I've been doing it more than half my life, right? (laughs) Doing it for two decades. So I love it. And I think that it's something that I guess it boils down to one thing, right? In a fight, you cannot lie. There is absolutely no lying in a fight. Yeah. There is none. You and another person get into a ring 
and you're about to fight each other. That is the most honest moment you will have with another human being. Yeah. You can't lie to each other. You can't steal from each other. You can cheat, sure. But at the end of the day, that reveals who you are. So that means right. that isn't lying. That's who you are. If you're a cheater, it's going to come out in a fight. If you're right. sneaky, it's going to come out in a fight. If you're direct, it'll come out in a fight. You can learn so much about a human being and in a fight. It's ridiculous. And so I think that that's such an honest moment that I think that that should be preserved and protected and it should be considered sacred, which is actually why I did the logo that I did for McDojo Life. A Tory means that you're about to go into a sacred place. That's, that's an important place. That's a place of honor and integrity. Mm-hmm. And when you walk into an area where there's a Tory or past a Tory, that means you're no longer in the regular world. You're in a place that's supposed to be considered sacred. Mm-hmm. And so to me, the martial arts industry is sacred, but it's flawed. Yeah. And what's happening now is you get so many people who just ignore the negative, thinking that that's okay and good enough, that that'll make the martial arts industry better. That's a fucking lie. That is the biggest crock of shit I've ever heard in my life. That's like us being in an apartment building. And I go up, all right, floor one's karate and floor two's taekwondo and floor three's Krav Maga. And we walk into the lobby to check in every day to go up to whatever our floor may be. And we see an arsonist trying to set fire to the building. And we go, you know what? We're just going to ignore the arsonist. And if we just work on our students, then everything will be okay. Bitch, no, it's not. Eventually, that guy is going to burn this building down with you in it. Because he represents what you represent. He is inside the martial arts industry. And so what I find fascinating is there are over 500 cases of pedophilia in the martial arts industry since 1985. 500. And that's just people. Those are 500 individual people who probably molested way more than one person. Right. So we're talking about thousands upon thousands of people who have been molested by martial arts instructors. Like we're talking about, and that's just molestation. Not to mention people who might have been financially ripped off, taken advantage of, injured for the rest of their life because an instructor didn't know what he was doing. It goes on and on and on. And people think that by ignoring those things, that the industry will become better. No, what's going to happen is, is that's all of us hanging out in the pool. We're swimming around, right? You got floaties. I got floaties. We're enjoying ourselves, drinking a beer. Aikido's even there. He's weird. But we let him hang out anyway because he's still one of us, right? And then all of a sudden, here comes a guy like George Dillman who walks up to the edge of the pool, not even respectfully enough to get in the pool to pee, but he right. stands on the outside the pee of uh, the pool and he just pees into the pool. And we all watch it. We go, you know what? If we just ignore him, yeah. we worry about us, it'll be okay. Well, what happens is that's a breeding ground for the next guy to come up and go, oh, this is okay for us to do? And then he pees into the pool. Next yeah. thing you know, we have to make a decision because it's too late. Do we address this now that the pool is full of pee or do we get out? And most people just get out. They don't, they don't stick around and try to fight the good fight to stop this. And I think that where most people consider it bullying, like, Oh, you're just bullying people. No, those people are con men and con artists and ripping people off and raping kids. Where do you like bullying is such a bullshit word. Like, you know, it's very different because what, what you're doing and you know, and I kind of juxtapose it against, um, it's one thing when people see a technique, let's say like a demonstration of a technique and they come on and they go, nah, it's bullshit. That's not the way you do it. You do it like this. Like, you know, we can argue about how you set up an arm bar or whatever. Semantics. And you know, it, it, it's, and look, it, as long as the foundation is there, I mean, some people don't have the foundation. You see it. Like I, you know, I see guys teaching, uh, you know, cross collar chokes and they're like flaring their elbows up and it's like, okay, that's very clearly not, not good. I've never seen anybody with any technique doing, doing this. But there's also no need for me to stop and go, yeah, you're doing it wrong. Like, there's no need for me to do that. This is just shit, you know. Um, But 
There's no need for me to stop. And you're not posting that. You're not posting like, oh, this guy's technique is not good. This guy's technique. It, we're beyond that with what, you're, with what you're showing. Because what you're showing is really a level, like you say, it's either a level of criminality in the way that these people are preying on victims and mm-hmm. they need to be stopped. I, I can't imagine a human being on the planet's going to say, no, no, you shouldn't be defending uh, little helpless kids. I mean, you're, you're trying to stop people that are abusing uh, their position and using it to abuse kids, or they're also completely and utterly fraudulent in the hocus pocus, magical kind of nonsensical shit that they're claiming that they're able to do. And I've discussed this recently with some different guys that I, I I've interviewed, you know, like I, I had the uh, last person I had on was Sean Patrick Flannery, who just came out with that really fun movie, uh, you know, born a champion. And, you know, he's an old school Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt. And a, he's a homie too. He's, yeah, a, he's a good friend. He's a good guy. Yeah. He's a super nice guy. And one of the things like I said to him and I've said to some other martial artists lately is, you know, I remember being a kid and being excited about the martial arts and being an, as ignorant as most of the people that write comments on, on my social media, um, you know, because I was young and I didn't know better. And it was the era of like ninjas and movies and only a ninja can kill a ninja. And, you know, we grew up with all these weird ideas of, you know, death touches. And, you know, you touch the guy here, you touch him there, his right testicle vibrates and then he's unconscious for like an hour. Like, you know, but the UFC at some point happened. And a lot of this shit got exposed for what it was. And I personally thought like after that, it's like, wow, okay, everybody's awake. Everyone's been shook, been woken up from, you know, their silly dream they were having and everything is going to be different. But, you know, fast forward to 2021 and there are people that are still living the same fantasies. And I find it terrifying and fascinating. And I think no one probably on the planet looks at this more than you do. And I'm super curious from your perspective with, and in particular, for anybody listening, you didn't get the joke when he was saying about the guy peeing in the pool. This is a very well-known, you know, very well-known martial arts teacher who does like no touch knockouts or just pressure point taps you and, you know, you pass out. What is it about that? Do you think is, it keeps it hanging around? Is it that we're just desperately want to believe in magic powers because we want magic powers? It's, it's a lot. I think it's a lot deeper than that because we're doing a, we're doing a documentary right now and we probably have about a week left of filming. So we've done the majority of filming so far. That's that's going to be wild. I mean, if watching a 60 second clip on, on, you know, McDojo life is super exciting and can change your day. A a documentary is going to just like, I'm getting everybody over. We're all going to watch that. I I, I appreciate that because we spent a lot of money to make it, (laughs) but, um, you know, when it comes down to like the, the documentary, one thing that we looked at was trying to approach it in a way other people haven't. So mm-hmm. one, we were not rude to anyone, not a one person. And we interviewed a lot of frauds, a lot, a lot of very, very, very well-known frauds mm-hmm. that if we were, we were done with our, our filming, I'd tell you, but I can't. Um, I would I'm, just tell I'm, you, I'm so pumped. I can't tell you. I just got like, when you said it, I got like goosebumps on my, on my neck and my arm. Cause I'm like, I can't wait to see this man. Yeah. I, cause I, I know that, well, cause we're not done editing and I want to get it out there and get the trailer out. But I promise you when you start, when you see the trailer, you're going to start to see a couple frauds on there. You're like, no way they interviewed that guy, but yeah. we weren't rude. Right. We, we simply wanted to hear what logic they had for what they were doing. And we gave them a straight up honest interview. 
yeah. just interviewed them as if they were just somebody else. And we interviewed a lot of experts too. We interviewed Dean Lister. We yep. interviewed um, Sean. Uh, we were going, um, who else did we interview? I'm sorry. You said Sean Patrick Flannery, but we haven't interviewed him yet. Mm-hmm. Um, we interviewed uh, Wonderboy, Stephen Wonderboy Thompson. We awesome. interviewed um, John Hackleman, who was Chuck Liddell's coach, Global yeah. Texas coach, also right. comes from a traditional martial arts background. We interviewed Jesse Enkamp. We interviewed Master Ken um, because he does parody work. So we wanted yeah. to see how he formed his parodies. Um, and we, we interviewed a lot of people. We also interviewed psychologists, psychologists, doctors, uh, acupuncture specialists. And what we discovered was it's a cult is basically what it is. It all boils down to basically it's a cult. And from all what all the experts have said, the people who are most likely to fall into a cult are actually well-educated people. Mm-hmm. They're not idiots. They're highly educated people because people who are poor, and I'm paraphrasing here, people right. who are poor are not as well-educated. They typically are just trying to get their next paycheck and their next meal. Right. They don't have time to focus on a lot of other things. Right. They don't have time to focus on that spirituality side of life. And I'm not saying poor people don't go to church. It's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, is they're not out there exploring the possibilities. Mm-hmm. You just don't have the money to travel to Tibet to just yeah. go, you know what? I'm going to go live with the Harry Krishnas for whatever yeah. long. Right? I think I'll go I'm, hang out and see if I can shoot energy balls and stop guys from charging. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but like, people maybe, I'll, are, maybe I'll work and try and get food today. Yeah, but people who are fairly well-to-do, they go through these existential crises. And when they do that, they have the money and the time to explore. And they say they go looking for the answer, whatever the answer is, because they can afford to. And sure. so when they start looking for the answer, some con man comes along at the right time and the right moment. And then they go, oh, man, this guy, this guy is actually going to change my life because he was there at the right time. And from what we've seen, anyone can fall susceptible of a cult under the right circumstances. Mm. Anyone. So when people go, man, I can't believe these idiots fall for it. It's like, actually, according to the guys over at the uh, James Randi Foundation, the people who say that are the most likely to join hmm. because the people who don't think they can be fooled right. aren't looking to see if they're going to be fooled. They're like, ah, they'll never fool me. So they don't, they don't stay on their toes about it because they're stonewalling. They go, I just, I'll never be fooled. So there's no need for me to stay on my toes. The people who know they can be fooled are on their toes about it. They're like, man, I, I fell susceptible one time. I'm going to keep an eye out for the red flags. You know, it could happen to me. So I want to make sure it doesn't happen. I think that's super, actually, that's really, really interesting and really important because even inside some really good martial arts, some, some, you know, practitioners inside really good martial arts, I've seen do very weird things. And I've always thought like, wouldn't that, shouldn't that dude know better? Um, And, but it makes sense what you're saying is they kind of are in in a certain way and maybe thinking like, oh, no, what I do is totally legit. And maybe most of it is. But so they kind of let their guard down for some BS creeping in mm-hmm. and uh, they develop just that kind of like, oh, like you said, they're not on their toes about it. Um, yeah. And and they miss they can misread or, or be led astray even inside something that for the most part is pretty solid. Right. Yeah, it becomes more like a Stockholm syndrome where they, they get to this position where when inside a cult, um, isolation starts to happen. Now, whether it's because the cult leaders made this happen or whether it's because you did this on your own, it starts to happen. And martial arts studios are no different. And like I said, that's probably goes to the point of people who can't afford it, don't do it, right? And so you'll never be susceptible of a martial arts cult unless they're giving it away for free if you are poor because you can't afford the classes, right? And so like, there's an example, like a martial arts cult, for instance, you're not going to join the $200 class because you're just trying to get food. <laughs> like, 
you don't have that money to go exploring for self-defense. But then you get there and there's a charismatic leader, a charismatic figure who's usually the figurehead. And the similarities between religion, cults, and martial arts are just so close. Mm-hmm. It's scary. Now, I'll give you an example, right? Um, and I'm not harping on anyone's religion. I'm not downing anyone's religion. I'm not calling all religion cults because that's not my belief, um, especially after talking to religious leaders and cult experts. Um, I think that anything can be a cult depending on the leader and the atmosphere. But mm-hmm. I digress. Now that I paraphrased that so I don't get pissed off in the comment sections, which, you know, honestly, don't really care that much, but I figured I'd just be polite. But if you look at a Catholic mass, for instance, a lot of times before you go sit at a pew, there's a couple of times where you may do the sign of the cross, right? Whether it's right at the front, there may be some holy water there and you dab and you sign of the cross, or you take a knee before you sit in the pew and you, you do the sign of the cross and you sit out. It's very similar to how we bow in and off the mat, right? That's just a little ritualistic thing that we do. We bow in, we, we're doing them for different reasons for sure, but we're still doing that ritual. Then when we get on the mat, there's all of us on one side of the room and the instructors on the other side of the room. Well, isn't that very similar to Catholic mass where everyone's on one side of the room and there's one figurehead of the other? He's teaching us martial arts, but the other one is teaching us about spirituality. And then behind the the preacher, the priest is usually a statue of Jesus Christ or stained glass or a giant painting, something Mm -hmm. that depicts Jesus. Well, in the martial arts studio, most martial arts studios, not all, but most have a picture of an instructor that came before them. And what do we do before we start most classes? We bow the instructor. Yeah. We bow. Okay, well, that's interesting. There's a little ritual in Catholic mass before we get started there too. And then somewhere in Catholic mass, we all stand up and we oh, peace be with you. And with you, and with you, sir. And we shake each other's hands, right? And then in the martial arts studio, what do we do as soon as we're done with class? Oh man, thank you. That was a great job. So if you look, it doesn't take much right. for people to make martial arts their religion. It doesn't take much for people to make that their religion. It doesn't also take much for people to make that a cult. Because there's already these standards of practices in place that are ritualistic. So now all I have to do is just make it more about, well, this, again, this is an opinion. This is not fact. But from what I've seen, what it seems like is the line is when you're a preacher or a priest or when you're a martial arts instructor or a cult leader, the only thing that separates them is intent. <laughs> and with a, a spiritualistic leader, it's about spirituality, not about them. Yes. The moment it becomes about them, you're in a cult. In a martial arts studio, it's not about the instructor. It's about the art and it's about you learning to be better. Mm -hmm. The moment it becomes about them, 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 the big red flag is starting to become a cult. And so all of these things kind of tie together so tightly knit and they don't always start that way. What I call like Steven Seagal syndrome. You look at Steven Seagal at the beginning of his career. He was a martial arts instructor. That's all he was. He wasn't an actor. He wasn't bigger than life. He was just some dude who taught Aikido. And then the right you know, the opportunity, you know, met him and he took the opportunity and now he's the Steven Seagal that we know. But there's a fine line in there because there was a time where he was just a martial arts instructor. Now he may have been a dick and he may have been egotistical, but over time of people like just uh, massaging his ego and boosting him up on this pedestal, he had to make a decision. Is this about my art, whether it be acting or Aikido, or is this about me? And the moment it just becomes about him, is the moment that you start to see him deteriorate into what he's become now, which seems to be this guy who's sexually abusing women. Actually, that doesn't seem to be, he actually did do that. He's sexually abusing women or assaulting actors on set, um, calls himself God in one interview. Like the, the moment that he starts to believe his own hype is the moment that he becomes his own cult leader. And he's stuck inside his own cult. Mm-hmm. You know, he's not doing things for the betterment of anyone else, it seems. 
it seems like if it doesn't benefit him at the time, he doesn't want to do it. Um, I think that, so, that what you're saying about, you know, this very simple but very, very powerful thing is that if you're, you know, looking and checking out a school and checking out a teacher or maybe you already have one and everything is about them and how great they are and what they know and that they're the holder of secrets or whatever, then that is a huge red flag for anybody who's listening or, you know, and is training somewhere or is going to train somewhere. I mean, just being armed with that is going to be so great for self-defense to make sure that you don't end up in a situation where, you know, you're being taken advantage of. Um, I think that's, that's so important that people understand that and think about that. And I a hundred percent agree that it, it, as soon as you see something and, you know, you're with someone and it's really, it's about them. It's not about the thing that they're trying to, you know, help you get to or whatever, then uh, that is a massive red, red flag. And I, I, again, I think that's a very big difference from what you point out with McDojo life to what, you know, trolls do when they go online and just bitch about someone's technique, you know, like, look, I get, even though I'm showing Brazilian jiu-jitsu fundamentals, I can't tell you how many pissy messages I get from, you know, maybe some people are just trolls and they've never done a day of martial arts in their life, but some of the people just frankly disagree and that's fine but i even had a guy tag you in one of my videos and he wrote he goes this is all bullshit you should just do brazilian jiu-jitsu and then i said uh-huh. this is brazilian jiu-jitsu and he says there's no strikes in brazilian jiu-jitsu i said uh well maybe not in the brazilian jiu-jitsu you learn but um uh-huh. what, what i learned was headbutts knees elbows are a grappler's best friend when you're talking about jiu-jitsu for fighting um you know and uh, so he, he tags you in one of my videos, I guess, thinking, you know, oh, you're going to come on and expose me. You know, expose me as what? A guy who does jujitsu? Um, I do a lot of research before I do anything. There's a reason I haven't been sued yet. That's, see, like, that's the thing that I think, you know, people need to understand that there's a very big difference from showing a video of a guy who claims he can teach, a, you know, an 85-pound girl to knock a full grown man out in a fight by waving his hands or by, by her waving her hands rather. Um, there's a very big difference between that and saying, you know, Oh, I just don't like this way. A guy throws a hook. I think the arm should be like that. Not like that. You know, it's, it's, it, this is a hugely different thing. And I think what you're doing and even just now what, you know, being able to sit down and give people and arm people with these, you know, ideas and tools for how to figure out, am I in a good, looking at a good school or am I looking at a bad school? Am I in a good school or am I in something that's really just existing to serve this teacher? I mean, this, when we talk about self-defense, this is important. This is, it's self-defense is more than learning techniques. Self-defense is also, you know, making choices for our life that put us in the right situation or right place and, you know, and help us not to become a victim of fraudsters and all kinds of other things. You mentioned James Randi. I mean, what a, what a legacy that guy had of, you know, exposing shit and, and the amount of shit and criticism that he ate. And I'm sure you must have such thick skin because you must be daily getting a ton of shit from people. Of course, but that's what I do. <laughs> like, yeah. uh, I mean, I don't, I don't expect to put out things onto the internet and not expect some lashback. I mean, but it's hard, man. Look, I'm not a, I'm not a kid. I, and I think I have a reasonably thick skin. I got a lot of hugs as a child. I'm, you know, I, I don't need any more. And I've been successful in what I do professionally and in my life. But I'll tell you, man, it, it, opening your phone and constant, you know, and getting a lot of shit all the time is not fun. You know, like I, I know when a video of mine hits over a million, I know, okay, here they come. 
Here they come. I'm well, not going to get it. I think that, and I, I will probably not be wording this correctly, but I'll say the word anyway, because it's the only one I can think of right now. Mm-hmm. I think a common issue or problem with a lot of people who wind up doing well on social media mm-hmm. is they kind of are like a bad comic. Um, mm-hmm. When you go on stage as a comedian and you say a joke, or you say a joke in a room full of people, we can even just do it that way. You don't have to be a professional comedian. You just said a joke. There was 10 people standing around you and they were all waiting to hear your joke. Nine people laugh and one doesn't. The problem with people on social media is they pay so much attention to the one person who didn't laugh and it gets you. You're like, why didn't you laugh? But dude, you have nine other people here who love what you did. And so for me, I just started not focusing on the one. And uh, it made my life so much better in this, you know, because like for I I tried to remember, like, look, it's so easy for these these things to stand out because they do. The reason that these people stand out so much in your mind is because of a good thing. They stand out so much in your mind is because you're getting so much positivity that this one thing stands out. It would be the opposite if it was all negative and one person said something that you liked that would stand out. You're like, oh, my God, this one person said something good. But that's happening so much. Yeah. That is completely ignored, and we start focusing on the negative. Now, that's just a, a terrible way to look at it, and it's a pitfall because most people, when you start social media, you don't know where it's going to go. You say, you know what, I like to do this, and you don't know if it's going to blow up. You don't know if it's going to become a thing because that's impossible for you to know. That's not up for you to decide. Right. I wish it was, but it's not. Yeah. It's, it's up for the world to decide because that's what happens when you put yourself on the internet. The world makes a decision on where they're going to put you as a as a as a status symbol in their life. Yeah. And we look at again, we look at the negative one guy and we ignore the hundred others. Yeah. So like I'm starting to over the years, it's not having a thick skin, it's being grateful. <laughs> you know, I'm grateful that there's so many people who are so positive and online yeah. that I don't have to look at the guy who's being negative. I don't have to pay him attention. And when I do, I want to give him what he really needs or her. And that's attention. That's what they crave. They're having a rough day. It's maybe life is going bad for them. They don't think that you'll respond, which I get that a lot. Um, They think that they can just shoot these shots out there to vent to make themselves feel better. And I give them the opportunity for a platform. And if they don't want that, they don't want to come talk to me live. That's fine. Then I ask them politely to leave my house. And by politely asking them to leave, I do one or two things. On Instagram, I either restrict them and I let them talk to themselves till they're blue in the face and they'll never know that they, no one can read their comments. Or I block them. Yeah. Uh, or I block them. And then they can go find another source of entertainment where they can talk down to people. Um, yeah. But again, this is my house and what I tolerate is up to me. And people go, well, that's censorship. No, it's a little different than censorship. You see, I'll give them the opportunity for a platform. And if they don't take that, then I'm just like everybody else. I would not allow somebody to come to my face and say half the shit people try to say online. So I politely ask them to go by just hitting a button. And then my life is better. No, I I think that's the best advice. That's, I think, you know. This is perfect advice for anybody who's got a, you know, a platform or is thinking about starting a platform on social media. And, and I, I agree. I think what you just said is, is perfect. That is the way to look at it. And you're right. It's, you, they're, they stand out because there are so few of them. And uh, really, it, if, it, 
if you focus on the fact that there are so few of them, then so many people are being made happy by what you're doing. That's what you really should focus on and be grateful for that. So that's perfect. And I could be wrong, right? Like just go through your comment sections today as an experiment, even if you're you're not you, but you yeah. yourself as well. Yeah. Go through the comment sections, just look at how many positive messages you oh, got. Oh, no, you're absolutely right. Like when you said it, I just, it made me go, yeah, I'm going to remember this conversation the next time, you know, one of it, somebody writes something that annoys me because look, on one of my video, videos, I have like two and a half million views, right? And, uh, you know, there's thousands and thousands of like comments and there's thousands of people sharing it and it, it, they like it, um, you know? And yeah, on the same video, I have some idiots writing, you know, nasty stuff or sending me a message. But yeah, out of 2.5 million, there's a handful. Wow. Uh, stupid exactly. Thing. So you're, you're right. that's why, like, as soon as you said it, I, I felt kind of like, you know, a kid where the obvious was pointed out to them and you're like, oh, you're so, you're so well, right. I was, being, means, I was like, being silly. We all have this opportunity too. Like it's all, the internet is the thing that we have created as a people, as a whole. And yeah. the toxicity of the internet is only allowed by other people who want to engage in toxic behavior. Yeah. Like I, I typically do the same thing, right? I'll, I'll, if it's somebody who I know is going to keep continuing on a diatribe, I'll poke them a couple times and then I'll leave the chat because they're going to get in arguments with other people and that's just going to snowball and yeah. it's only going to help my, my analytics. So why do I care? Yeah. If it becomes, if it's just an argument, if it's toxic and I mean, like there's no real argument, every other word is name calling or whatever, I restrict them and then yeah. they will talk themselves till they're blue in the face because no one can read what they have to say. Right. They don't even know it. They're just, they're typing like paragraphs upon yeah. paragraphs. And I'm like, you know what? This is funny because I know no one can see it and I love this. And like, they still follow my page. So that means they still enjoy the work that I do. Yeah. They just no longer can spread toxicity. Imagine if everyone did that, if that was the standard It's like, oh, we're not going to tolerate toxic behavior on our pages. You know what would happen? People would stop being so toxic because yeah. they realize, oh my God, I'm going to get kicked off of everything. That's so, I want to, I want to just bring things back, you know, to the movie. It's super exciting. I, I know that you did like crowdfunding to get it uh, started to get uh, things together. Um, so many people, as soon as you did that, so many people like, you know, very well-known martial artists also got very excited about it because, you know, you are followed by so many uh, in the community. Um, what's your, your, your biggest goal, your biggest hope for the documentary? Uh, I, I, well, one thing that we realized is when we started the documentary, one, we have an audience that wants it because it was crowdfunded. Yep. People are like, well, why don't you just pay for it yourself? It's like, one, because you're a moron. Shut yeah. up. But the other thing is like, when you do a crowdfunding instead of the traditional loan, one, you're no longer having to hold that stick if it does fail. Mm -hmm. Two, you're guaranteeing an audience. And so what that does is it shows, oh, there is actually an audience for this. Imagine making a movie. You spent $100,000 on it, and then all of a sudden you go, hey, guys, did you want to see this? And he goes, well, you never asked us if we wanted to see it. Yeah. And then you go, what? You're not going to watch it? And then now you're $100,000 in debt. Congratulations. Now you're out of business and now you're in debt. You'll never do this job again. Or you ask your audience to say, hey, guys, is this something that you want? Then you're going to have to help me. If you really do want this, then you're going to have to show me that you want this. We're going to do this as a team. Yeah. And then they do it. You know, for sure, when you go to work on distribution, you can show proof that you have an audience, which is huge. And a lot of people don't think about the process. Right. The other people go, well, why don't you just use your phone camera? And then you can just go across the United States. It'll cost you nothing. One, a phone bill costs something. 
Two, hotels cost something. Three, when you travel like that, you're going to be paying for a lot more food than you normally would. So what you're asking me to do is do it on a budget and make it shitty. (laughs) Like, so what we did was we took the money. I have a production team that I trust that I've worked with before that I know we work well together. So I I came all the way out here to Fresno for the last, like since January. um, And I left my house. Um, and everything that I had going on in town just to come out here for four months of my life. So that's another thing that people don't understand is like everything had to get put on hold for this. Right. Like my life had to stop and this was everything that it was going to be. And as fun as it's been still, like, I'm like everybody else. I miss my house. (laughs) You know, I miss my friends. I miss my atmosphere, you know, but then you go over to, uh, you know, Fresno. Um, we got hit with a couple hiccups right off the bat. We raised the money and it was only 10% of what we wanted. Um, mostly because there was a dude who was like a year before we did our crowdfunding actually ripped a lot of people off. Has nothing to do with us, but we got a lot of messages about people. Is this going to be like that red belt documentary? Because this dude did this red belt documentary crowdfunding. He took all the money and then he disappeared. Uh, no one, he just never talks about it. He just disappeared. And it's like, dude, that's really fucked up. Like that's actually a felony um because of how much money he raised so hopefully he's like actually gets busted by law enforcement because that's jacked but for us we raised twenty thousand instead of the 200 the 200 would allowed us to go to china would have allowed us to go to um indonesia would have allowed Mm -hmm. us to go to these places where that are hotbeds are real crazy um the twenty thousand, we were like all right well that's enough to make a movie just not the movie we want so what we had to do was we had to pivot then we were like all right well let's re-storyboard so that took us a little bit of time to re-storyboard what we wanted to do then COVID hit. We were like, fuck, yeah. well, what do we do now? And so like, it was, we were, we crowdfunded and then we were supposed to start in April of last year was when we were supposed to start filming. COVID hit in March. And I talked to the team. It was at the very beginning of COVID. We didn't know what to make of it. We were like, look, for the safety of everyone, let's just wait and see what happens. So then things started to seem to ease up and we set a tentative date for August of last year. Well, then when about a week before I'm supposed to do on this road trip and then get all the way out here and start working, a week before lockdown number two, major lockdown hit California, which is now where the majority of the movie is being filmed. All the movie is being filmed. Um, and then so lockdown number two hit, we were like, hey, man, we, what do you want guys want to do? It's up to you. And they were like, well, we're going to wait. And I was like, OK. And, but then when January, like when uh, I think it was December hit, I was like, all right, guys, we're going to make a decision here. This might not ever end. Yeah. We don't know. This could last five years, but we have other people's money sitting in our account that we need to make a decision what to do with. We are either going to give all this money back and scrap the project because we can't do it right. Or we're going to go ahead and go through with it. And we're going to do it with a a smaller budget, but we're going to do it now. And they were like, let's do it in January. And so I was like, fuck it. So drove across country, had a great time all the way across the country, got here to Fresno. And now we started the, we started filming in February. Uh, We filmed every day of the month of February, except for the weekends. Um, And so now we just have this amazing footage that I never would have thought we would have gotten. Half the movie is not storyboarded. Like we we did a hard storyboard. We knew exactly what we wanted in this movie, but things just kept falling in our lap. That is just unexplainable. I wish I could explain how it happened, but I just can't. Like for instance, um, can I show you something? Yeah. Let me show you something. So I think you might get a kick out of this. So we have our storyboard. I'm actually in the studio right now. So I thought you might get a kick out of this. So yeah, absolutely. Let's see here. So this is our conspiracy wall here. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. So this is our conspiracy wall. 
Yeah. And you can see some of the heavy hitters. Oh, yeah. I, I, I see some great names. All right. So you can this see awesome. some, of the, some of the heavy hitters. Dojo oh, Kutsu, which yeah. is a crazy story. Um, and then some of our cult stuff that we were researching, right? And then I'll take you over here, and you can see some of the storyboards. This is some of the storyboarding. Oh, man, people are going to be excited when they, when they so, see that wall. Um, but that, uh, that, so I would give you a hint that the majority of people on that last wall who are alive, we interviewed. That's awesome. Um, and so never expected any of those people to ever accept an interview. They all did. They all said yes. Um, Amazing. I can't tell you how we did it, but we did do it. Um, yeah. And then we actually got one of their instructors to come out and teach us a seminar. So we learned the pressure point, no touch knockout seminar. Um, this, we, we I filmed, can't wait for this. <laughs> and we filmed the entire thing. Yeah. Um, and so he, again, like we can't tell you exactly how we, we got it all done, um, yeah. but we got it all done. And then uh, we interviewed most of those people on that wall. So, um, you know, fuck it. I'll just go ahead and say it. So we interviewed James Hydrick. James Hydrick is a, one of probably the most well-known martial arts con men in the world. At one time, he was considered the greatest psychic in the world. That goes to show you how good he was as a con man. Right. Um, he was busted by James Randi on television as being a fraud. Yeah. Um, and he also molested five kids. And then that's what put him into the mental hospital that he's in right now. He's in a psychiatric hospital. But we, again, we're not approaching this as just going as being rude. We're approaching this as yeah. an experiment to understand. We were not rude to Hydric whatsoever. Yeah. Hydric was very polite to us. And I'm not, I can't excuse any of the things that he's done or have been accused of. Right. I can't excuse those things. He can't excuse those things, but I can yeah. at least give him this one piece of credit is right. that we brought him on as a subject matter expert and no one knows how to con people better than the best con men on the planet. And so we brought him in and let him know 100% fully, this is why we're bringing you on. Mm -hmm. No one does it as good as you did it. Mm -hmm. And so we would like to know if, how these other people are doing it from you if you were to do it that way. Right. And so he gave us just pure gold. And as a matter of fact, for a guy who only has like a third grade education, he is a very well-spoken guy. He's not an idiot. Yeah. Um, and so I could understand how he had the charisma to like, to be able to, to fool people and stuff like that. But we brought him on as a subject matter expert. The state was really cool because you have to go through a lot of red tape to get those interviews. They allowed us to interview him. We have two hours with the interviews with him. Um, who else did we interview? We interviewed George Dillman's number two because George Dillman is retired now. Um, we interviewed the guy who's taking his place. Um, interviewed him. We interviewed Ashita Kim. Uh, so if anybody's ever seen Ashita Kim, he's the guy who thinks that he can dodge bullets. And as a matter of fact, we have him on video saying that he Ninja. can dodge bullets. Yeah, um, a, a ninja a dodging bullet ninja you got for your documentary. I mean, how, how can you get anything better than that? Was, uh, we also got um, Evan Pantazzi. Evan Pantazzi uh, was uh, understudy of George Dillman. When he goes to get his fifth degree black belt from George Dillman, he refuses and starts his own organization. So he's the top dog of his equivalent no touch knockout organization. Right. Um, he also believes that he can knock you out without touching you. He told us some ridiculous stories, one in which he talks about going to his car and three dudes try to attack him. And he punched one guy in a pressure point in his arm, which induced vomiting. And that scared the other guys and they ran away. Another story that he told was how he was speaking with someone and they discussed that there's a point in which you could press that will actually kill a man in three days. Like, it's just a lot of nonsense, but we got all this nonsense because we weren't rude to them. Yeah. 
we were polite to them and we were just like, oh, that's interesting. <laughs> right. Oh, OK. Well, can you can you elaborate more on that? You know, and so um, excuse me. So we have a ton, a ton of people who are well-known frauds in the martial arts industry that we can take that information that they gave us and put it up against what doctors and psychologists have to say about this. And so we, we did a deep dive into psychology of a martial arts cult. We interviewed a gentleman. His name is Lewis Martin. He wrote a book about being in a martial arts cult. And that book sat on my shelf for like a year before I ever actually read it. And then after I read it, I was like, holy shit. I was like, dude, you, you went through some crap. Like it's very culty stuff that he went through, which involved things like rape, which involved things like numerology that was being uh, embedded. People were selling cars and committing insurance fraud in order to pay for these martial arts classes because that's how deep they were into it. People were being told to leave their families because they weren't about like the martial arts life they were trying to live, like really culty stuff. Um, but we have like this, this documentary now that just fell in our lap. And it's like a lot of the stuff that we wanted, we never thought we would get and we got. And, uh, you know, all of it we were able to do in California, which is amazing. We even hired a guy, like I told you earlier, to come in and teach us a martial arts seminar. And one of my favorite parts of the seminar, so anybody who's listening, you get like a little taste of the documentary because this is definitely going in there. But one of my favorite parts of the seminar is like we kind of padded the resume a bit. When he came in, um, one, he was, we originally thought it was going to be private lesson. And I was like, ah, that's cool. But I was like, the problem is then it becomes about me. And if it's about me, then it's about my biased opinion. And I was like, I'd rather it not be that. And, right. but when he wrote us back, he was like, well, did you want to do a class or a seminar? I was like, oh, a seminar. Mm -hmm. I was like, well, yes, I would like to do a seminar. He goes, he, he gave us this price for four people. And I was like, that's ah, a little steep. Can we do the same price for 10? And he agreed. It's like, fuck yeah. So then I took 10 people who are all experienced in various martial arts. We're talking capoeira. Krav Maga, karate, MMA guys. We had a wrestler there and we had all these different people from these different martial arts backgrounds. And I told them for the first hour, the experiment is going to be this. You guys are just going to go along with whatever he says. Mm -hmm. You're not going to tell him how much experience you have, but if he asks, you can tell him you have a little bit of experience and right. you've done some stuff here and there, yeah. which isn't a lie. But at the same time, it's just, you're not going to go into your deep resume with the guy. Right. And so he did at the very beginning of class. Who's taken martial arts before? And a couple hands raised, a couple didn't, and stuff like that. And in my head, I'm going, they all have. <laughs> but in any case, um, the first hour, I told him, just go with it. Yeah. Whatever he says, whatever he does, if it doesn't work, pretend that it does. Just go with it for the first hour. And we did. And the first hour was mostly revivals. Cross your legs, slap the back. That's how you get somebody back to consciousness. Um, you know, oh, you the blood flows this way, so you got to rub the arm this way if you hurt them, stuff like right. that. Um, all nonsense, but we just went with it. But after that hour, I told them specifically, just be yourself. Right. I did not tell them to be aggressive. I did not tell them to attack this man. All I said was just be yourself. Mm -hmm. If you were in a regular martial arts seminar and you had questions, you would raise your hand and ask. I said, now would be the time to do so. Sure. If you're, if it doesn't work, don't pretend that it does and stuff like that. And there was a night and day difference, like night and day. Um, right. once, once that hour started, that second hour started, this man just started profusely sweating. Um, you could tell he was in the hot seat because people were asking basic questions. No one was rude. Right. People were just asking him basic questions that anybody who's teaching a self-defense seminar should be able to answer. And he just didn't have answers. Um, but at the last part of this, because we kind of like started asking so many questions, it threw off his timing and his structure. Um, which by the way, if you send me a message on Instagram, I have an itinerary that he sent me. 
for the seminar. And the itinerary itself is hilarious. Because uh, oh, I've yeah, never I want, to I want to do that. <laughs> <laughs> but the itinerary itself is pretty damn funny because I've never been to a seminar where I've been giving an itinerary. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you'll find out when you get there. Like we're we're gonna cover these things for sure, but in their own time. So anyway, last 30 minutes he opens things up for questioning. And somebody in the audience says, Well, hey, can you give us some advice about self-defense against the knife? He was excited, man. He goes over to his bag, he pulls out his rubber training knife, um, which most of us have if you've been doing yeah. martial arts for a while. Um, so I'm not downing him for that. And then he hands the knife to the one person who's never trained. So we had 10 people scheduled, but nine people showed up. Well, right. we had to fill in that extra slot to even things out. And we, we filled it in with a camera guy. Yeah. So I took one of the camera guys who's only taken two classes as a child ever. Yeah. So he's not experienced in martial arts whatsoever. And he hands him the knife. And I was like, oh, this is going to be good. He's yeah. like, he handed it to the only guy here who doesn't train. So this goes to show a lot about a trained versus an untrained person. Great experiment. Yeah. He doesn't know this, but we all know this. He's under the impression that no one knows what they're doing. Right. Um, so grabs the knife and he's like, well, what direction do you want the stab to come from? Is it a downward stab or this way or this way? He goes, I might do something different for all of those. And the person's like, well, like an upward stab, like a prison shiv. And he was like, okay. And then so our camera guy commences to stabbing him multiple times. He stabs him like 15, 20 times. While he's trying this, he takes his hands like this and he starts trying to hit the knife. Yeah. out of his hand but it's not working and he's doing it harder and harder but every time he's trying to get stabbed and someone in the audience goes well wouldn't this work better and does like a two-on-one grip on the knife which right. is a much more legitimate way of defending the knife yeah and he goes oh no, no 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 see this is just me entering and then i get closer and so he gets closer grabs grabs our camera guy and our camera guy's arm with the knife is free yeah and he's yeah. so but he's not actually touching him with the knife he's just doing this behind his back so you can see that he would be stabbed like 60,000 times. Oh and somebody God. was like in the audience, like, well, wouldn't you get stabbed in the back? He was like, well, I mean, you're not going to see the blood, so it's not that bad. His words, exactly. Now, that look that you just had on your face, we had this, the school that we trained at is a legitimate Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu school. And they had a class that was supposed to take place right after our seminar. So regular students are coming in now. And there's, <laughs> there's a dude sitting down who has the most puzzled look on his face. And then when the guy starts talking about, well, if you don't see the blood, it's not that bad. He goes, <laughs> and it's, it's pure gold. Like we had, a uh, we had a personal trainer right behind us. who's doing like a private lesson with uh, his client and he's just trying to hold it in. Um, Cause we, the, we told the owner, you know, let make sure people don't interrupt whenever this is going because it's an experiment. Yeah. Um, and the owner was awesome for letting us use this facility. And he watched the whole thing. Um, but at the end of the day, we left it open to the individuals to make their own decisions about how they felt about it. Yeah. And so they were not coerced in any way. Only thing we told them was at the beginning, whatever you hear or whatever happens, just go with it. And then after that, be yourself. That's so amazing. And so we interviewed everybody afterwards and we got all their, their reactions afterwards. Um, and it was just really eye-opening because you always hear the same garbage on the internet, right? Well, you need to go train there. You don't know. It's like, no, I kind of do know. It's kind of like saying you need to get hit by a bus to know what it feels like to get hit by a bus. I'm like, I'm pretty sure it's going to suck. Like, you know, (laughs) it's true. That that's amazing story. I mean, if if that doesn't make people excited to uh, see this movie, then I don't know what the hell it I'm I'm, now I'm even more, I was excited before, but now I'm even more pumped. I'm like, I I can't wait to see it. And I actually think like from everything you just said and all the stuff you were talking about and who you have on, that this goes way beyond 
um, just people that are interested in martial arts. Like this goes way, way, way beyond that. I, I think um, it, this is going to be a really important thing for people to watch. It's super important thing, especially for teens to watch, to help arm them against these kind of things. Like uh, it's really um, more than a martial arts documentary for sure. And uh, I'm excited, man. W- when are you hoping? I know the editing process, all the craziness, yeah. everything else. But what, what's the goal? Director. Um, I talked to my director mm-hmm. yesterday because I was doing something for my channel. I'm doing a new, a new show for my channel, which I'm excited about. Um, we're doing 12 episodes, so we did three last night. But while we were doing that, um, I talked to him, and he told me that we're probably going to begin the editing process on Wednesday because. Um, a lot of what we have, like you have to back up on drives. Like it's not, and then you have to sync audio. It's not the easiest process. You can't even get to editing until you're done with certain things. So now we're about to get to editing. And so Wednesday is when we should start editing. We have two more things, three, um, that we're just kind of waiting on that are here or there. Um, But we have the majority of the movie ready to go. There's just one or two more things that we may or may not get that might fall in our lap, which will just be cherries on top. Like, mm-hmm. um, and I, that I can't tell you about because then it might not happen because right. people on the internet are loudmouths. Um, but then, um, you know, we, you know, we started actually our first ever scene for this movie was three years ago. Wow. Yeah. So like we, we filmed three years ago, I did an experiment where I went to like an Adam Misner seminar. Um, Adam Misner is another one of those guys that believes if he sits on a couch, he can poke you in the arm and you're going to fly back 30 feet. Right. Yeah. So when I went to that seminar, um, a lot had happened and I'll try to keep it short, but basically he wasn't the gentleman who taught the seminar, but one of his other people taught the seminar. He's like number two. And then when I went to the seminar, it was like the first two hours we didn't move. We literally did not move. Um, he had us holding poses for like 20 minutes at a time. And then his cell phone would go off and then we'd hold a new pose. And he never actually told us why or what this was for. Right. And we're standing in a dog park in LA and he didn't allow us to film, but luckily because we're in a public place, we can film any damn way. Um, so my camera guy just went up to a, a, a higher position because we were in a park in L.A. And then he just films down onto the seminar. And I took my mic and I put it in my pocket but with the microphone out. So I got all the audio. Um, and I asked him at one point in the seminar, which is supposed to be like a six hour seminar. And it wound up I left after four because I was like, this is bullshit. Um, but I wind up doing the seminar and then we finally wind up talking. And he did talk about like moving your muscle fascia. He says, don't move your muscles. I just want you to move your muscle fascia. And that's going to how you harness your chi. And in my head, I'm like, I'm pretty sure that's not how muscle fascia works. Um, (laughs) But there were two doctors that were right beside me, like literal doctors. And they were like, yeah. In my head, I'm going, you're doctors, like fucking doctors, people. Like, wouldn't you be calling bullshit? But they were just like, they were in the cult, man. Um, It goes to prove the, the educated people fall in the cult thing. Um, but then he, after that, he started kind of being more vocal and I had asked him, well, Hey, most, most martial arts have belts. Do you guys have belts? He goes, no, but we have levels. And I go, okay, I can see that. And, uh, he, I go, how many levels do you have? He goes, well, we go up to 10. Okay. All right. You're still making sense because most, you know, black belts go up to 10 degrees. You have 10 levels. All right. I get it. Then I asked, well, is, uh, Adam Misner, the 10th level guy? Cause he's the guy who started the, the system. Oh, goes, oh, no, 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 no. Adam Misner is only a level seven. And in my head, I'm like, that's weird because he's the guy that started. He, the right. founder usually puts himself on the pedestal. And he goes, well, I go, why isn't he a level 10? He goes, oh, well, humans can't reach a level 10. Here we go. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, I have that on camera and on tape. Yeah. Um, it's just 
a lot of like the nonsense that people are willing to believe when it starts off as just basic stuff. Like it starts yeah. off like, yeah, I can get that. Oh, okay. I can get that. And then you're like, ah, it's a little weird, but I'll go with it. Next thing <laughs> you know, we're talking about what seemed to be aliens. <laughs> like, yeah. All right. Well, and then people are like, you don't know him, man. You just don't know him. You've never been there. I'm like, bitch, I did. I went to yeah. a seminar. I, I it went. Was, that's exactly what was said. I recorded it. <laughs> that's awesome. That pe- people are crazy. <laughs> they're they, they're I, like white blood cells, man. They're defending the body of the cult. And yeah. so as soon as like you come in and you're the infection to to say anything like, you know, guys, is it weird that we're all wearing the same <laughs> pair of Nikes? No, we're all wearing black. Is it weird that we're all doing the same shit? No. Oh, we're cool with this. All right, cool. You know, everybody's starting to take showers at exactly three minutes and 21 seconds. Is that not a red flag? This dude's microwaving his food at exactly whatever time plus seven seconds. Like, isn't that weird? No. All right. Cool. That guy just literally burned his car to commit insurance fraud to pay for these classes. Isn't no that weird? Had... Yeah. Yeah. But... I think all hell's going to break loose when you release this documentary, man. I, I can't wait. I can't. First Rob, I can't thank you enough for coming on and uh, sharing your stories and, and also helping to arm people uh, with some great information. And uh, you're going to, you continue to do that on your social media platforms and also with this documentary that's going to come out. So everyone, if you are not already following McDojo life, you have to start following, check out the amazing stuff that Rob is posting, putting out and sharing with everyone. And uh, you are going to, to absolutely lose your mind as i'm sure i am when the movie comes out so we're going to keep an eye out and i'm going to announce uh, as you know i'm seeing updates from you and getting people pumped um i'll be announcing it too so make sure that and, everyone uh, gets excited anybody, and when it finally does come out we'll put the link i'll come back to this on my uh, youtube and we'll put the link for it and because it is a crowdfunded project we're yeah. still raising funds as we go <laughs> um, awesome so I, where can people go do they go to your instagram and then follow the link through okay. your instagram so there should be a link on my Instagram that leads you to another Instagram, which is McDojo Life D-O-C. So McDojo Life Doc. Yeah. And on there, there's a description, which if everybody who actually tried to join this page actually read the description, we would have a much better movie. <laughs> but um, it's just a, it's a donation based page that allows you to get behind the scenes footage, access to content, updates about what's going on. So if you go to McDojo Life DOC, there'll be a link there and you can donate whatever you want. I had a guy literally donate a dollar yesterday and I let him in the page yeah. because one person's donation is just as welcome as everybody else's, no matter how much it is, because people can only afford what they can afford. I just yeah. appreciate the effort to try to do that. Imagine if everybody who actually followed the page donated a dollar like that guy did. You, you know, know we, thousands we've of dollars had, man, for sure. Well, I wouldn't have had shit in the production studio. Well, here the production that <laughs> oh, that's amazing. <laughs> Uh, we're, I'm going to be talking about it. I'll go also on my TikTok live. We're going to talk about it in the next few lives and, uh, you know, get, get people pumped up, get people excited, hopefully have this up for everyone in a few days. Thanks again, man, for coming on and good luck with the editing. Good luck with ev- putting everything together. I can't wait. All right, I'm, man, I appreciate I'm it. super pumped. Yeah, Thank, man, you so much. Thank you so much.